Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost my turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. I'm a big fan of Massozymes enzyme supplementation. I take their probiotic. Our friends at Bioptimizers, again, it is Massozymes, the most complete, most potent digestive enzyme available. It's over 102% more protease than the nearest competitor, 300 to 500% more per serving than the most popular brands. Protein is a complex macronutrient that needs to be broken down. It can create problems when it's left undigested. Massozymes not only contains more protease, it contains 13 additional enzymes, including lipase for fat digestion. It works at every pH level, 2 to 12, in other words, at every stage of digestion. All of this makes Massozymes an ideal complement to any health meal plan. You can watch Massozymes rapidly dissolve raw steak when you go to massozymes.com slash drew. That is just like it sounds, M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com slash D-R-A-W. And you can try it today risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee. It is the gold standard in the industry. If you don't feel how Massozymes helps you upgrade your digestion and power through your food, their support team will give you a no-questions-asked refund. Again, go to Massozymes.com slash Drew. From the creators of Cold Case Files and PD Stories comes the next great true crime podcast, I Survived. Every week, I Survived presents chilling first-person accounts from people who overcame deadly situations, allowing the survivors to describe the events as they unfolded and how they made it out alive. If you love true crime, you're going to love I Survived. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, PodcastOne.com, Apple Podcast, and many other podcast apps so you can get new episodes every week. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dr. Drew Podcast. Again, please support those that support us to keep the Corolla pirate ship afloat. And as well, uh, please head on over to drdrew.com. We do a daily uh, show where I interact there through a streaming, uh, live streaming uh, platform. And we have the same thing on weekends. We do a live call-in show, usually 3 or 4 o'clock, or usually on Sundays. And you can call and be a part of that and watch that as well on all the platforms, whether it's Twitter, Periscope, Mixer, Twitch, anywhere. That's where we are. And uh, after dark and Adam and Drew, we're all there at drdrew.com. Also, drdrew.tv will give you a blast when we, when we go live with these things. It is my privilege to welcome Dennis McDougal. He is a well-known author, and uh, he caught my attention through essentially through the woman who wrote the California Globe article that I was uh, interviewed for. It was sort of we, she and I sat down to sort of wrote, write the definitive article on what we have to do with the homeless thing. And uh, um, Dennis McDougall uh, rang in, chimed in. Dennis McDougall, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Dennis's books include The Last Mogul, Lou Wasserman, MCA and the Hidden History of Hollywood, Privileged Son, Otis Chandler and the Rise of the L.A. Times Dynasty, and Dylan, the biography. But that isn't, that isn't what uh, caught our attention. There was something else that happened, right, Dennis? Yes. Uh, yes, I... Um I wrote um, an op-ed for uh, my old employer, L.A. Times, a couple of uh, weekends ago, 
Um, myself and my entire family were uh, caught completely by a horrified surprise the first week of uh, the new year uh, when my son-in-law got a phone call from the FBI in uh, Hermosillo, Mexico, down in Sonora, um, to the effect that my 44-year-old daughter, um, a lawyer educated at uh, Loyola right uh, here in Los Angeles, had been murdered and uh, left in a rental car on a side street in uh, Hermosillo. Um, I can... I couldn't talk about it at all for um, a couple of weeks. I just didn't speak about it I bet. to anyone. Um, and I still have good days and bad days. Uh, today, um, fortunately for, for you and your audience, it seems to be something of a good day. Right. I can carry on a conversation without breaking down so far. Yeah. Um, but... Um, the 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 backstory to all of this and what led to the op-ed piece that I wrote for the uh, for the Times is that in um, uh, a terrible way, um, none of us, not Amy's husband, uh, not uh, either of her sisters, uh, no one in our immediate family were overly surprised. Mm. Uh, we were shocked, of course, continued to be so. Uh, the murder is being investiga- investigated uh, both by the federal pol- police in Mexico and the FBI. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's ongoing. Um, but um, uh, the events that led up to it um, actually began five, six, maybe as long as ten years ago. My daughter, Amy, uh, was, and I don't think that uh, this is just a proud papa saying this because the the events of her life bear it out. Um, My my daughter, Amy, was uh, was brilliant. Um, I would go so far as to say she was genius level in terms of uh, her, uh, her education, her experiences, uh, what she was able to accomplish in her short life. Um, but the sad state of affairs is that about uh, 10 years or so ago, uh, she started having um, episodes. Um, uh, no better way to describe it, I guess, because uh, it, it varied. It could be it, things ranging from uh, screaming, Fits that seem to have no basis in in um, logic whatsoever. Um, she would go and lock herself in her bedroom for days at a time, depressed, and then she would go out on crazy shopping sprees. And uh, the, the long and the short of it is, and I'm sure that um, Doctor Drew is, you you would be. Um, very much familiar with this. Yeah, it's bipolar. Uh, bipolar, she, probably she, too. She was probably bipolar. Yeah. I mean, throughout uh, all of these episodes, uh, you know, she went to uh, all kinds of strengths and uh, 
um, psychologists, counselors. Uh, she was active in her church, so she spoke with um, uh, a lot of the people at the church. Uh, and she came away with a, 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 a panoply, a, a real menu of diagnoses. She was bipolar. She was schizoaffective. She was uh, paranoid. She had um, she had borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just go down the DSM and pick out something. And at one time or another, Amy was probably. Um, told that was what she had. So she had, right. So she had, let's just sort of characterize. She had some sort of mood disturbance for sure. Yes. She, she had chronic severe mental health illness of some poorly characterized type. In addition to a mood disturbance that is somewhere in the, in the personality spectrum as best I can say, because, because, Schizoaffectives get paranoid. By, um, by, uh, borderlines get paranoid. So, who knows what that was? But there was something substantial. So, I imagine her relationships were very distorted as well. Well, yes, of course. And in fact, I mean, her, 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 um, her husband, uh, my son-in-law, Mike, uh, in my estimation, is nothing short of a saint because he stood by her throughout the entire, uh, the entire time, mm-hmm. and did everything he could possibly do uh, to hold it together, yeah. to get her help. She was in and out of rehabs. She was in and out of 5150 holds. Rehabs for, for, you mean psychiatric hospitals or rehab for chemical dependency? All of the above. So, so there, was a, there, was a, there was a substance. Therein lies part of the problem. Right. Right. You're, you're not. Those. So let me tell you, I can read through the lines here. Part of the problem was, no one can tell the family what was going on because of the extraordinary and bizarre HIPAA laws around psychiatric management. Would that be accurate? Bingo. Yeah. And why we well, – we, here's the thing. It, it, I got to tell – Dennis, I'm so sorry. This is just a heartbreaking story. But it makes me crazy. We, the same people that get up and go, the brain is just an organ. The brain gets sick like your heart are the ones – that carry out this bizarre protection of the psychiatric record. If the brain is just an organ and we treat it and we reduce stigma, why the hell can't they lighten up on the privacy? It's not necessary. It's really bizarre. All right. So that's, that's a, that's our first problem. All right. I got you on that one. Yes. Uh, All of the laws are flawed. uh, Some of them more so than others. Yep. there, there is not a law that be that that has been passed having to do with mental health uh, in this country since the 1970s. It doesn't have some sort of a flaw. No, well, let, let me say, it, let me say that the that the laws that were passed in the 60s and 70s were a backlash, were a terrible backlash to the excesses that were legitimately excesses of psychiatry in the 40s and 50s and also the 60s. Psychiatry became grandiose. They became social engineers. They lost track of what their job was, which was to be a doctor. They mistreated. Mm-hmm. They Their excesses were ridiculous. And we put a bunch of laws in place as a backlash against that and we've learned a little bit about the brain and its treatment in the last 70 years, and we have not changed those laws a bit. Do you agree with me? That's right. 
Yep. I agree with you 100%. Yep. I mean, yes, I get all of that. I understand yep. that. I've become a student of it, whether I wanted to or not. Yep. Actually, I, I, wrote, I wrote a book about this early on in my uh, career as an author. I wrote a book about uh, Ronald Reagan's uh, very own personal attorney whose family uh, was wiped out, literally, totally, as a direct result of these misguided laws. Oh, and how about, uh, well, but then we had John Kennedy's family, who one of his sister was essentially murdered by psychiatry, essentially. They turned her into a zombie. Uh, and the laws he passed were a backlash to that. Sure. Crazy. Yeah. So uh, crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we, we could get political up one side and down the other, but this is a bipartisan. A hun- it's hasn't... 100%. Well, there is an issue. There is a part of it that I blame. Again, another – I want to place the blame at my profession again. There was three psychiatrists from 1945 to 1975. Three – one of them was a parasitologist. One of them was a pediatrician. None of them had ever set foot or taken care of a chronic mentally ill patient. None of them. And they set mm-hmm. the federal government's policy for the care of the chronic mentally ill for 40 years. They were not elected officials. They were social engineers. They did not know what the hell they were doing. And they persuaded some unwitting politicians to go along with them. So there's the part in my profession, in addition to the excesses of psychiatry, there's just another one of their excesses. So yeah. there you go. That was Dr. Well, Felix, yeah. Dr. Brown, and Dr. Yolis. You can read about it in a book called American Psychosis if you want to read about that history. It's, it's, a, it's terrible. I will, I, I've already got it on order. I, I read the, that all of this was based on. Um, at any rate, uh, Amy, I mean, the long and the short of it is that Amy got, um, she got further and further afield. She um, she was del- delusional. Uh, she was under the impression that the CIA was uh, was listening in um, while she uh, was watching TV. Was she was she had, was she using meth? Had, um, or was that just her bipolar or both? Well, no, she wasn't taking meth. Okay. The only thing that she was, but she was addicted. I'm sure of it. At one point, there was you know you could not. You, you couldn't um, put your finger finger on because Amy, as I said, was brilliant. Yeah. What, what a lot of people don't understand is that you can be insane. You can have delusions. You can be uh, plagued by hallucinations and delirium, and be uh, and 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 behave in a uh, a. a what appears to be a perfectly sane fashion. Not, not just sane, but, but high level. She could be practicing law. And that's what she was doing. Yep. I mean, she was a lawyer. Yep. And she was, and, and no one ever took her, her, um, her license away, to my knowledge. I mean, she was challenged uh, at the, the bar level, but no one ever revoked, revoked her license to practice law. Neither did the DMV revoke her uh, driver's license, even though I went through exactly the steps that they say to uh, follow on the DMV website a year ago, wrote a letter for their instructions to the Department of Motor Vehicles saying that she was a danger to herself and others and that it was supported by the, the, the record, and nobody did anything. 
And had they taken her license away, she would be, she would be alive today. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. this is like, it's just one more example of how. Well, it's, it's, it's putting civil rights uh, ahead of everything. Including yes. it's it, it, it and it denies the possibility that any brain condition can affect our judgment or agency, and that is simply anathema. Here, here's my one of the things I want to point out <clears throat> is we have directives to physicians for medical problems that affect your brain functioning. If you become delirious from an infection, if you stop breathing and you're kind of unconscious, you have assigned a directive to physicians that tells me and people like me what to do for you when that happens. Why don't we have that for psychiatric patients? When somebody, when someone made that diagnosis of your daughter, there should have been a directive pulled out, a one-pager that says, when you decompensate, what would you like me to do? Hospitalize you for a month, hospitalize you for a week, leave you alone, specify it. And in a sane setting, most people would say, please stabilize me, do as long as it takes. We don't have that. Yes. Well, of course we don't. And what happens now with the, the laws as they are practiced today, right this minute, is that, uh, you know, you go into the hospital on a 5150, which, uh, you know, is a... 72-hour hold for uh, someone who is a danger to themselves or others. Used to be gravely um, disabled also, and there is a bill in the California State Senate right now to bring back a sane definition of gravely disabled, but that really doesn't exist now. So you have to say, I'm going to kill a bunch of people, but if you an mm-hmm. hour later go, you know, I was just kidding, I don't mean it anymore, you only have to answer two more questions. Where do you get food? I got a buck. Here's McDonald's across the street. Where are you going to live? In my tent in Reseda. That's it. You're out. Right. That's it. That's you, what, you cannot hold that person. What, that is precisely what happened to Amy. Uh, like four months ago, she was in on a 72-hour 70, hold, and they asked those two questions at the end of the 72 hours. She was uh, semi-stabilized, as stabilized as you can get after two, three days, which is like virtually not at all. Right. And they asked her those two questions. She had a one credit card that still had uh, about two or three hundred dollars left on the uh, on the limit uh, because she's run through like at least a dozen credit cards in the past year, and she had a car. And they the the attendants at the uh, at the hospital said, "Well, she's got enough uh, on her credit card to get something to eat." And, and she can live in her, she can live her in her car. So and they are prevented from discussing this with you. They can't even discuss yeah, it with I you. Find that, I find that out after the fact, of yep. course. But uh, yeah, you're right. I I'm on I'm on what um, my uh, my son-in-law Mike uh, refers to as the the the, uh, the naughty list. Yeah, because you, you're making uh, no, you're making noise. You need to get you need to yeah. call John Morlock, who's a state senator in Orange County, and he's he's got this bill up there called AB six forty, and he's trying to persuade. You can't imagine how he's being stonewalled up there, but it would give you it would have given you the ability to help her. So please get be part of his team. His name is John Morlock, and it's S, it's Senate Bill SB six forty. Uh, we need your help. So I'm on it, yeah. John Morlock. He'll be happy to hear from you. In fact, Gary, send me um, 
Dennis's uh, email, if you can, and I will then send a little introductory email with the Morlocks people. All right, Dennis, because yeah. you can't let in this fact, happen. I, yeah, I, I, I'm coming back for Amy's memorial in uh, late March, and um, I'll make a point of um, making a side trip to Sacramento and uh, meeting with him in person if he wants. I, I will send you the information. All right. So let's keep well, going. Keep no. That's not. Well, that's not. Let's keep going with what what happened and what we need to do and what else you've learned about the mess that is our mental health system. And by the way, only our country. Every other country on earth takes care of sick people. Only yeah. us. We refuse to take care of people if the sickness affects the brain, unless it's a medical sickness. Well, then we rush in and we're liable if we don't. Isn't that crazy? Well, it's beyond crazy. Yeah. I mean, um, the it, we our country to this day is uh, is um, empowered or um, motivated by this myth of the um, uh, of the frontiersman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we're we're the people who get things done in spite of everything. We we don't need any help. We're um, we're we are individuals. We yeah. we can rough it, and you know nothing. Number one, it's a total myth. That's never been true right. for centuries. Right. You you cannot get along in this world unless somebody else is there to give you a hand at one time or another. Um, and and secondly, uh, you know, I the the idea that in as complex uh, and populated a, uh, um, a culture as we have now that, uh, that rugged individuals somehow uh, well, outpace everyone else. It's I, just BS. I, 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 and I get your point about it, but I, it's, it's a little more refined than that. It's civil liberties. Civil liberties, uh, uber alice, and no matter how insane that gets. And the, the civil rights attorneys that have been protecting this insanity have literally said there is no justification for any containment of people with mental illness. That's your well, problem. Yes. That's the problem. I, 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 your, your point is well taken, Drew, but the, the, you all, let's also go back to the history of how the pendulum, pendulum swung oh, oh, all the way yeah, yeah. to the other side here. Go ahead. I mean, I... Yes, uh, Kennedy's uh, sister was um, uh, w- w- had her brain, you know, essentially um, yeah fried, um, shut down, yeah. and she was only one of many. Yeah, uh, the whole idea of hysteria and how women could be uh, tossed into um, uh, snake pits uh, regularly be- yep. back in the twenties and thirties mm-hmm. because they were. A quote hysterical end quote, and they had to be put away for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that is like you know out of the dark ages of uh, so-called mental health, mm-hmm. um, and it makes sense that you would you would have the you would take the pendulum and swing it away from that toward um, a, a period of time when uh, when mental health was coming out of the dark ages. And that, uh, you know, um, urology became a, a legitimate science. 
we were looking at brain chemistry and things were uh, were changing for what we thought was the better. But the pendulum went all the way to the other side. And yep. to your point, yep. now we are at a point where civil liberties uh, abound. And my my little girl, you know, wound up with her throat cut. Sacrifice um, to this. Sacrifice, sacrifice to this nonsense. Murdered. I think it's murder. Absolutely. But murder by the people yes. that are – we are losing – just in this county of Los Angeles, three people are dying a day on our streets. That's murder. Yeah. It's it genocide. Is. It's genocide of people it with mental illness. It yeah. It's a, it's a slow and genocide nobody, in our streets. Nobody cares. Uh, they, cares. they care. They they care about the political ramifications of housing, or I, I don't know what they care. They don't. They don't actually. They claim they don't understand. When I when I get in front of these groups and talk, they like I I didn't know. Yeah, it's your responsibility to know. Mm-hmm. Three are dying on your watch every day. It's murder. Stop it. Well, and the terrible irony is that at some point in their lives, these people who claim that they don't know. And who really don't want to know? They'd right. much rather watch TV. Right? Um, are they? They're going to have a wake-up call, not unlike my own. Although, I mean, I was aware of it beforehand, but nonetheless, um, you you don't get away from it. Mental mental illness uh, is an equal opportunity killer. Oh yeah, and it doesn't make any difference what your class is, how much you earn. It doesn't make any difference what kind of political clout you have or a lack thereof, uh, it will get you. Mm-hmm. It will get some mem- member of your family. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the way things stand now with our culture, because it's such a stigma, you know, to be mentally ill, um, you, you most of the time you won't hear, hear about it. I, I think, by the way, the, the number one reason that we have trouble breaking through the stigma is the issue you raised a few minutes ago, which is how we protect the records and care we stigmatize it by making it super secretive of course it's going to be yeah. why does it need it if we cannot say it's an organ like any other and it gets sick except we're going to treat it totally differently and no one can talk about it we don't get our family can't know about it nobody can know about it it's secret it's secret bs mm-hmm. bs it's bs terrible yes exactly it and, and it kills uh, entire families in secret. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because, I, I Because of the secret. I have yeah. a good... Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Be, no, it kills entire families because of the secret, not just in the secret, in the shadows, but yeah. because it's secret. And we have, look, we have a saying in addiction treatment, you're as sick as your secrets. And that's true of yes. the entire operation. Entire operation is sick. Mm-hmm. And I think that you would agree with me that addiction, everyone seems to be okay with speaking, at least speaking on the record about addiction these days. It, yeah. That's come somewhat out of the closet. Yeah. Um, but addiction, um, nine times out of ten, uh, is self-medication. Well, well these days, well, it, 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 however, you, however you characterize it, these days, and then let me be really accurate with this, the majority of drug addicts have co-occurring disorders. That, that's the way we say that. That that they, there's other psychiatric problems with at addiction in the majority of cases. And on the streets, it's the vast majority. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, 
Yes, I, I, I agree with the way that you put it, and that, that's politically correct. Well, it's, sure. it's clinically correct, um, sort of clinically correct. I guess. And, uh, clinically yeah. correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> clinical. So CC as opposed to PC. Yeah, there you go. I like that. But, um, but you know, nonetheless, I, I think that rehabs are a, a booming business up and down the coast, um, uh, in part because many, if not certainly most of the people who are, are there and returning again and again are there because um, it is better to live with drugs and alcohol uh, than it is to live without. And why is that? You know, I mean, in my estimation, it is because uh, the, the drug, whatever it might be, um, eases, the, uh, eases the pain of mental and or emotional uh, malady. You are well, self-medicating. Y- y- yes, but if you use particularly things like meth and opiates, for more than a few weeks, the malady starts to be caused by. So now you have your underlying condition, and now you have new brain changes that make it even everything worse. So now you have new neurological things that make living without the drugs impossible. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think in part that's what happened to my daughter. I'm sure. Uh, at, at one point, she was taking her children's Adderall, mm. which was... Prescribed, uh, prescribed to uh, one of the two children for uh, uh, for I- hyperactivity or right. HH, whatever ADHD, it is. ADHD, right. Yeah, and, um, and she found that, you know, it gave her a, a speed high, I guess. Yep. And she started... Uh, she started finding Adderall wherever she could, mm. and she became... Addicted to that terrible drug, uh, which just hype, which just as you say, just uh, enhanced it. What she took because she thought it would make it was making her feel better uh, was in fact um, changing the uh, the circuitry in her brain. Right, and and, and it's it's a catastrophe um, for bipolar patients to be taking Adderall. But when yeah. I asked you if she was on speed, the reason I asked is. The kinds of delusions she was having are pretty unique to amphetamines. And do you know what the generic name of Adderall is? No, but I have a feeling you're about to tell me. I am going to tell you. Dextroamphetamine. Dextroamphetamine. It's an amphetamine. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake. Yes. No, I I, I knew that it was speed of some sort. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know exactly what the... um, pharmaceutical name was but no. uh but you know i mean it's it's yet another example uh to me anyway of how um this condition that she, that might have been altered had it been uh diagnosed correctly and uh had she been corralled even against her will uh, early on, uh, could have been she might have been, uh, if not cured, at least stabilized for sure. Where for sure she could ha- where she could have something of a normal life. Oh, for sure. Listen, I know how to handle but, cases like this. It's not it. It's challenging, but it's not impossible. 
but you have to have yeah. you have to have leverage. You have to have leverage, and somebody smart and with a profession and stuff, you got it. You got to get the leverage where you can. Now, here's the other thing that you were facing. Well, I don't know. Were you, was she in California? Yes. Okay, in California, you you can use drugs and not have any legal consequences. Prop 47 has essentially made trafficking and using drugs legal. So we have no leverage. And and you know, it's not necessary in your daughter's case, but for the other guys on the street, they can steal up to $900 a day and get a traffic essentially a traffic citation or an appearance appearance in court, which you're a drug addict on the street, you're not appearing. And so they can steal yeah. to support their habit and they can go- use at their liberty. Again, that's murder for drug addicts. You know, people always they point at Portugal and they go, look, they legalize drugs there. Yeah. They created environments where nurses monitor them and they administer them and they motivate them to yeah. stop. They don't leave them on the street to die. God. Right. Oh, right. my God. Oh, Dennis, yes. I, I know it's uh, painful and horrible for you, but it's just deeply troubling, morally just deeply troubling for me. I, and, I, and I'm sorry that, that you know – I, I'm, you know, well, I just get I, so I, upset I would, about this. I, I, I would. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want this to come out sounding the, the the wrong way, but I'm. I am happy that you are deeply troubled, and I would hope that uh, hundreds, if not tens of thousands, of others like you were equally deeply troubled, and that all of us together. Um, could do something to move um, Morlock's bill ahead, assuming that it has the content that you laid out to me, uh, and that uh, that we could do something to begin to dissemble this crazy notion that mentally ill people have all the same rights and privileges that anybody else on the street has. Or that they, they have not. the they have well it's that 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 their condition allows them to actively exercise those rights and privileges, which should not be the case usually temporarily until we can make them better for and believe me when they're treated, they look back and they're pissed at people that left them to deteriorate on the streets by the way i mm-hmm. I sent you an email with uh, one of their his brilliant staffers' contact info. Who will be ha- happy to help you over at Morlock's office? Okay, great, yeah, terrific. Yeah. I'll, I'll contact him tomorrow. Yeah, they, they um, they'll be happy to hear from you. Believe me. Um, God, it's just so. I and and I can just imagine. With in your case, you know, if I if I had how I'm feeling and grief, oh my God, I, I you know I, I just feel for you. I, I just don't know. How, anyway, if we can make a difference, maybe maybe that will at least make them grief more more, for lack of a better word, well, purposeful. Well, it's always been my, I don't know, the way I approach problems of this sort, I guess, is to try to act, try to, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I'm not grieving. I, and in fact, I had yesterday, I had a very, very bad day that was triggered by uh, everything from, um, magazine pictures to songs on the radio mm. and I was uh, not able to speak to anything or anyone. Sure, I understand. Uh, 
and it goes like that. I mean, yeah, it comes in waves. It comes in waves. That's how experience yeah. this. It's the strangest thing in the world. I, yeah. I have a new appreciation for PTSD and what it really means. Well, it, this um, this is a little more on the grief side of, spe- of the spectrum. There is some PTSD and stuff, but but more griefy. And grief comes in waves. Gr- grief is an extremely nefarious process, and you kind of have to go through it, but you don't get to pick how. It just comes over right. you periodically. So, um, at, at, at any rate, the, the reason I wrote the op-ed was that was my first uh, sortie into this uh, territory in terms of, of trying to, uh, you know, actually make something happen rather than lip service. I'm sick and tired of, yeah. um, you know, thoughts and prayers and yeah. uh, and uh, the... Uh, consolation cards and so on and so forth. I, yeah. I mean, they are appreciated. I don't want to sound, you know, uh, unfeeling, um, but I would much rather people got as hot under the collar as you have sounded throughout this uh, interview tonight um, and, and really get pissed. Mm-hmm. I mean, really say, okay, I'm not only angry this moment, I'm going to sustain it. I'm going to see to it that it, rather than talk about it and post something on Facebook or a Snapchat or whatever, I'm going to carry through. I'm going to write a letter to my assemblyman. I am going to call my state senator. I am going to flood uh, Gavin Newsom's office with telegrams or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not... I, I, I think that the time for talking about this and then waiting for the next school shooting to happen is uh, is over. I think that homelessness is pandemic, and it has to stop. Yep. We can't just flap our gums about it. We've got to do something. If, if you If you go down and look at it, it will affect you and make it difficult for you not to think about it every day. For me, because I spent 30 years working in a psychiatric hospital, I, I understand these patients and exactly how they can be treated and get better and what they need and how, how anathema this is to medical care. And by the way, what any other country on earth does. And it's, it's the opposite of medicine. And it's um, – I, I, can't, I can't abide by it. I wake up every day just you know, agitated about it. So I, for me, it's easy. I just – I can't help it. And then when I come to understand the history of how we got here – and how ridiculous that was. Uh, and by the way, the, the psychiatric hospital I worked at was sort of a museum of the excesses of the 40s and 50s and even 60s. So I, as the young internist arriving to do the medical services at the psychiatric hospital, acquired all these patients that were <laughs> devastated by the treatments of my antecedents. I mean, devastated. Yeah. So a lot of the singulotomies and lobotomies and weird dialogue, sure. all kinds of weird stuff. So I, I have studied at the Museum of Psychiatric Excess. I, I know what it was. It was horrid. And I appreciate the laws that were put into place 60 and 70 years ago in response to that. It's, it is now inducing a genocide. And, and the fact, and the fact yeah. that our politicians – this is what the part I can't get. Help me with this, Dennis – that that a politician could hear me say these things and, and ignore it. 
You're like, yeah, what, could, what, is, what kind of human? I, I understand they may have a system they're dealing with that maybe they can't get a lot done the way I'd like, but they seem to ignore it. What kind of human well, ignores this? Well, we, we could get into an entirely different uh, discussion here about money and politics, but I think that uh, if you want a quick answer, uh, it's because it's, it's because the, the mentally ill, the people who are homeless and uh, suffering from uh, whatever psychosis uh, drives them to live in a tent mm-hmm. on Grand Avenue, mm-hmm. um, are they, they have nothing. They don't. They are a constituent without any clout whatsoever. Right. Uh, so and, you and, go but, to a politician so, and you say, "Well, yeah. we have this problem. There's these thousands of people who have no place to go, and they have uh, mental illness that tells them that it's okay, and that they would much rather be out in the open air than uh, inside somewhere where they could have uh, three, three hots and a, and a cot or whatever." Yeah. Um, the the politician will uh, pay lip service to it. Um, they'll they'll toss their thoughts and prayers, yeah, as usual. Well, no, they, but there is uh, money, right? And, you can get developers to build houses, to build condos. That's where the money is, right? right? And so, oh, right, right, there it is. Right. So you, so you have, so you have the situation that you have in L.A. where where the voters, uh, uh, you know, uh, come up with uh, X billions of dollars for homeless stu- structures that a don't get built yeah and b when they finally are built are built for people who are uh healthy or sane yeah that's or right. ought to be sane that's right because that's exactly right they don't want to be there in the first place these, yeah. these are people whose brains are so uh malfunctioning that uh, the the voices that are shouting at them and out shouting the people around them mm-hmm. uh, are saying, uh, "Go and live on the street. Yep. Go and and uh, go, go and be with God in the gutter." Yep, and that's what they want to be. Now there is a constituency and, though that they're going to. There, this is kind of why I've emphasized this piece when I assess the problem, which is there is an infectious disease problem here. This is when you when civilization breaks down. And the basic functions of civilization, sanitation, do not function, and rodents overrun the populations, there will be disease and it will be bad. I I knew – this is how I directed my attention to all this. My home became overrun with rats and I thought, oh my god, because I practiced medicine in the San Gabriel Valley for a long time. And I was like, well, this is going to be typhus. We're going to have typhus for sure. It has to be. It just was, And it came. And they did nothing. The city, who is responsible for rodent and sanitation control, does nothing. Well, we in Southern California have another illness that follows typhus. It's called Ursinia that's endemic in the rodents and the feral cats and the raccoons. You may, now, you may have heard of it. It's called bubonic plague in the more common lingo. And it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. I talked to a plague expert who told me that, oh, yeah, it's just a matter of time. It'll break out. It's in the rats sure. already, and it will come. And uh, mm-hmm. and then tuberculosis, and then we have people having diarrhea in the streets. What about – and they're doing it now around the the vegetable uh, – there's these – these. what do they call them where the uh, vegetables are, are sort of sent out, the um, – 
I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to a second. The food supply source, you know, where the the downtown Los Angeles, where the the vegetables are packed and sent out, they're all around there now. As are the rats, rats of course, and mm-hmm. that's going to infect the food supply. Then it goes down the streets into the L.A. River, and when it rains, it bypasses sewage treatment. So essentially, a city the size of Arcadia is crapping mm-hmm. into the into the ocean directly with infected material yep. because these are not healthy people. You don't think that's going to have effect on – that's not going to heal the bay? The, the sea mammals are going to be dead. There will be no more sea mammals at, at our coastline. So where are the environmentalists? Where is the city officials that, that manage the public health? What, what is going on? It's too much to be believed. Well, you know, uh, all you have to do is uh, switch on the nightly news and you will see uh, any number of stories about coronavirus. Yeah. So if we have we have Wuhan uh, having um, problems with uh, uh, with a, a, a new virus on the other side of the world. Yeah. Uh, there's a hue and cry on every front page in America. Imagine, imagine, Dennis. You just laid out to me, which yeah. I by happenstance know about from friends who who uh, still live in L.A. Yeah. Um, you lay that out and no and everybody's going to shrug, shrug their shoulders because it doesn't have uh it doesn't have the the sexiness or the uh, uh the scare factor of uh a strange new virus from uh the far east imagine so imagine if coronavirus that's newsworthy but the bubonic plague is not exactly imagine the coronavirus were imagine coronavirus was killing 3 people a day in the county of LA you think there would be a reaction well, homelessness is the lack of attendance and mental health is killing three people a day, and no one cares. Mm-hmm. No one cares. Yep. Oh my God, it's too much. I, I and I really get angry with the press for how they report this Corona thing. Because by the way, you're more likely to die of the flu by a large margin. Oh yeah, well, and, and and if you go into the uh, the fine print on the junk page uh, in stories in the New York Times, uh, they'll they'll make note of that. But that's a footnote. Let me ask you something. As, as a as a up front is is far more interesting. As a quality journalist that has um, practiced his craft for many years with the LA Times and whatnot, please tell me how and and don't say money and clicks and they're fighting. For, we we all know they're it's a t- difficult business. But how do journalists hold their head up and say this is still a profession if they allow the business to take to kill their ethics? Well, I'm not sure that, uh, I mean, first of all, there are all kinds of journalists, as you well know, just as there are all kinds of uh, psychiatrists and psychologists. Mm-hmm. There are good ones, there are bad ones, and there are in-between ones. Uh, and uh, I, I would submit to you that a good many of the people who are practicing journalism um, at Times Mirror Square, well, what used to be Times Mirror Square is now L.A. Times and El Segundo, ironic. I don't know why it's not the El Segundo time. That's funny. But um, but uh, there are a good many people there who uh, who are highly ethical, who are uh, deeply concerned about um, most, if not all, of these issues that we've raised tonight. Uh, but um, they are they are 
squeezed, I think, more than I was during what I considered to be the golden age of daily journalism. I, I, I was at the L.A. Times in the 80s and the early 90s, which you know, was a really great place to work. I bet. And we covered everything like a blanket. But, you know, I mean, there's, uh, there's just not the staffing uh, or the, uh, the revenue to uh, power the same kind of journalism that I was able to practice. Um, I, I, I when, get that. I, I think that's legitimate, frankly. But, but to cave then in, your, in people's professional capacity, and I, I blame the editors more than the journalists because they're the ones creating these headlines that are a million miles from truth. And, and also, by the way, shaping the stories in ways that induce – have you ever heard of Gelman's Amnesia? No, I have not. Gelman's Amnesia is a, a famous term about a physicist named Dr. Gelman who realized every time – he'd go to the paper and every time he'd read a story about physics – he was a physicist – he would go, this is completely, this is not getting it. This is off. This is not truth. This is false. This is distorted. And yet he'd continue to read the paper and assume everything else was completely accurate. So they call that now Gel- <laughs> Gelman amnesia. <laughs> and and, and I, I, I think the editors, you know, and I understand they have business uh, priorities in terms of protecting their jobs and whatnot. But then, then, don't, then don't call yourself professional anymore. Call yourself a whatever you are, you know, somebody who's you know, raising, raising, you try just, you're a clickbait expert or something. So call yourself something else. And, and I, I feel bad for the journalists, the real journalists because of what their editors do to them sometimes. Well, as do I. And, you know, I mean, it's been true of all ages that there, are, as I said before, there are good, bad and, and, and indifferent, uh, um, members of any profession. And journalism is not exempt. You know, it, uh, everybody in uh, in journalism is is not uh, uh, Clark Kent, Kent or, or Lois Lane. Uh, yeah. They uh, there. There's a lot of um, um, a lot of sleazy people out there who maintain that they are journalists, and eventually, uh, for the most part, they get found out and drummed out of the profession. Profession. Mm, that's but, good. I'm glad to hear that. But. Uh, well, I, I mean, I think that's generally true. Um, I think it's uh, general. You know, I think it's generally true of, um, or I, I, maybe I'm being naive here. I don't know, or, or ho- overly hopeful. Uh, I, I think that uh, over time, uh, with enough outrage, um, such as uh, my own, I mean. Um, Eventually, things begin to swing uh, back to uh, a better place. They, the the, um, the morality catches up with the times, and no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, and you know, I I am ever hopeful that this is going to change. Um, the, when I wrote when I wrote the piece um, about my daughter, um, it took me back to when I wrote um, my third book, which uh, it was called "In the Best of Families," and it was about uh, the Roy Miller family. They lived in um, uh, in Palos Verdes. They had a storybook life, 
the they had two boys. They were, were both very bright. Uh, they had the best of everything, and both boys uh, became uh, schizophrenic at the end of their adolescence, and uh, the first one killed himself, mm. and the second one raped and murdered his own mother. Oh, my God. Leaving, leaving Roy Miller, Ronald Reagan's, Reagan's personal attorney, with no family at oh, all. Terrible. And he had, he had everything going for him. He had all the resources uh, that money could buy. Um, but he could not find anyone who could help, adequately help, his, uh, his sons. Mm. And uh, his whole family imploded. Uh, and the object to, the, to me and you know, the underlying theme of, of that book was that no one is exempt, and we should all be paying attention. Because if you think that you're just in great shape, you, you, you won the lottery, uh, you married Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, and uh, you have the perfect family, and everything's going your way, and none of this is ever going to touch you, um, you are headed for disaster. Yeah. Because it hits everyone. Yeah. It's just Everybody. 50% of the Americans have a psychiatric diagnosis at one time in their life. So that pretty much go. means most everybody's family is going to be affected one way or another. And by the way, you're also going to encounter cancer and heart disease and infectious diseases because we're biological beings. That's in the nature and, of what we are. And, and, and if, if you live in Arcadia, you're also going to get bubonic plague. Yeah, well, not just Arcadia, but all whole San Gabriel, all Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I, I'm waiting for that I first case. I, I know. Facetious here. But people are going to people are going to freak out when uh, when that hits. I know it, and my fear is there's going to be vigilantism then, and then these poor people are going to have another. I was problem. under the impression that it was already hitting. I mean, as I was told by a, a friend of a, an architect, a friend of mine, a, a year ago that there were um, there were rats racing around in uh, L- L.A. City Hall. Oh yeah, well, typhus, typhus broke out there, but not yet uh, Arsenia. But we've got tuberculosis. Oh. We have non-tuberculous AFB. We had typhoid fever. I didn't expect that one, but we got that. I mean, it's and we have norovirus, and it's just going to keep going. I mean, as longer you let things break down, the more the infectious diseases will move in. That's just the nature of civilization and human biology and concentrated environments. That's how it works, particularly when you have vectors like rodents. That's it. That's how it goes. Right. I mean, we didn't learn that in the 11th century. Isn't that the basic function of a government? Basic, basic. I mean, I mean really, I, I, I wanted to – at one point, I was saying we should remove qualified immunity from these politicians so we can go after them personally for killing people. I really, I really would like – I'm not kidding. Well, I, 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 you're preaching to the converted here. Yeah. I, I, I am – Absolutely livid that um, people, both elected and appointed, are feeding into public trough and uh, not doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, their 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 jobs, as as it's written down in 
in black and white for them. Before you take this job, this is what the job entails. Right. And they are not doing it. That's right. And this is the this is the the direct result of people not doing their job. Correct. I agree. Well, Dennis, I kind of want to wrap things up. I could go on all day, sort of rattling sabers. I, I, I'm I'm so glad that you're on this, and I'm so sorry that it it took what it took to you know to bring you uh, on board. It's just it. I I I'm, I'm I just feel for you. The I, I I have the moral outrage. I share that with you. I share the urgency of all this, but I I don't have to suffer the grief, which just on top of this would just be. Ugh barely bearable and and you know i I get why you'd have bad days and we're we're thinking and praying for you when when they come but that's the nature of who we are and it's because you were so attached to your daughter and because she was such an extraordinary person that this is such a tragedy yeah 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 and she and she's a human like any other and uh she gets these conditions and they were they are highly treatable in good hands which is another problem, by the way. We need to build environments of care. We need to ex- train more psychiatrists. I and mean, this is another problem. And so, we, you know, if we start getting people off the streets with improving gravely disables and, and conservatorships, we don't yet quite have the facilities. I know that there, the, um, H, the uh, HHS is coming. Uh, ben Carson, who gets this problem vividly, I've spoken to him directly, and he gets what's going on here. Uh, they're coming. And it'll be interesting to see what they do, but they're gonna they're gonna create environments of care, and because he's a clinician, he knows what this is, he gets it. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Oh yeah, I, I wish there, I, I wish that that were um, more in the uh, uh, more available uh, online and on air and in the daily newspaper than. Um, well, it's because it's, it's sort of just look for the rhetoric, look for the rhetoric in the local politicians to change, because I, I think I think they will be given the opportunity to proceed to take to take responsibility and to be given some funds from the federal government. And I don't think the federal government has any problem with the local government taking credit for whatever it is they do. Once you watch the rhetoric change, watch it. You'll see. All right. Well, maybe we need to reconvene a year from today and see if things have changed. I would love to do that. Uh, in the meantime, you get in touch with uh, Senator Morlock and his brilliant staff, and let's see what we can do. And uh, keep writing. Please. Put, uh, the, it seems like the Times is willing to let you take some space in their pages. And, uh, my God, let, let's uh, it catches people's attention. It, it uh, is out there, and, and I think people are – and the people that that know what this is and see what this is need to kind of get together on this and uh, start to become a common voice because there's no dissension amongst those that understand what's going on here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, Dennis. Again, it okay. is uh, Dennis McDougal, M-C-D-O-U-G-A-L, DennisMcDougal.com, Twitter at Dennis McDougal's M-C-D-O-U-G-A-L. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you all again, Dr. Drew. This has uh, been very good. All right, very, very helpful. Hopefully, people will All listen right. and we'll get some others on board here too, just from your your willingness to share your story. Okay. All right, man. Talk soon. Bye bye. And we'll Bye-bye. see it. We'll see everybody next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Doctor Drew Podcast. That's D R D R E W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Doctor Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. 
The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Thank you.